0: Hiya, my name is Lawrence Muzzifari. I'm a journalist, presenter and podcaster from London and I bloody love my Nan. She prefers to be called Nan, FYI, rather than Grandma as she makes her feel younger, because of course. I've always loved listening to her stories about growing up through the Blitz or chatting about the state of the world now or wondering how it's gonna end up in the future. She's like a piece of living history to me and it's partly our amazing relationship that led me to make this podcast. It's an idea I've ruminated over for a decade. Yep, I know, I've taken my time. But ever since I came across an article on the Daily Mail, unfortunately, about some of people's biggest life regrets that this nurse had compiled. It was everything from wanting to travel more, spend more time with friends, even like date more people. And I wondered what if he could kind of capture all of that wisdom much earlier, encapsulate all those pieces of advice and wonderful stories from people schooled in the university of life, essentially so that everyone can benefit. And that brings me and you together for this podcast, Time of My Life. It's a fun and thoughtful series of interviews where I speak to remarkable elders with fascinating lives, all to capture their wisdom, anecdotes, and answer some of life's biggest questions from the people that have already lived it. And yep, I'm talking about the biggie, what is the meaning of life? (laughs) I went for the big head honcho. So come with me, let's dive in and collect their pearls of wisdom first up I've spoken to the man himself Sir David Jason aka Del Boy from Only Fools and Horses he's worked with some of the greats including Ronnie Barker he's been in open all hours and he is undisputedly a national treasure I really hope you enjoy the interview I'll be back with you straight away afterwards thank you so much for listening
1: Hello there. My name is David Jason. Well, Sir David Jason to you. And uh, I'm doing this uh, little casting thing for a time of my life with uh, Lawrence. Uh, how's your father? A very <laughs> nice uh, fellow. I've never met him, but he seems all right. So thank you.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much, Sir David Jason. Wonderful to have you with me today. Um, I First off, I wanted to ask Um, Your new book, Dell of a Life, it's all about life lessons, and uh, it couldn't fit any better with this podcast, really, because we're all about trying to answer some of life's biggest questions about some of the people that have, you know, got some wisdom to share. I wondered, as this is your third memoir now, was it tricky to not cover the same ground again, or did you save up some nuggets just in case you had to write another one one day? Well,
1: it's very astute of you, if I may say so, and uh, yes, I'm only saying that. I don't really mean it. But uh, the, <laughs> no, the point of the story to answer your question is uh, that I have, uh, when you read the book, repeated uh, one or two things that I have covered in uh, the previous books. But I just thought that they were perhaps worth repeating. and. Um, Things like, for example, uh, which I learned from Ronnie Barker, really, it was a, I was a great fan and friend of his, uh, you are your own currency, spend it wisely. So uh, that was a, a sort of thing that uh, I mention in the book. And um, one of my sayings that I use all the time is, uh, which I try to get through to my daughter, who's young and full of uh, energy and, you know, they don't really listen, do they very much? I don't think I did, but I was there. <laughs> but uh, it's the journey, not the arrival. It's to remember that if you can, it's easy to say this, but it, it is true nevertheless, that if you can find something out of a day-to-day, and preferably if it's your job, is something that you enjoy doing or get pleasure because every day is a day of your life that is a journey. So the more you can, the more you can um, get something good out of uh, your daily existence, as it were, uh, the better it is for you and for the people around you. Lots of new stories and anecdotes like that in the new book. So if I were you, I'd get down now and order your copy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I very much enjoyed reading the book and uh, I wanted to, this kind of leads quite nicely into my next question, but there's so many life lessons in there. I wondered, what do you think is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given?
1: The best piece of advice that I got for uh, my work was uh, many years ago, I was in a show with Ron Moody and he was a very famous um, an actor uh, around the time and I was in uh, Peter Pan with him which is a sort of story and pantomime type thing and to cut a long story short I said to him I was doing a piece what they call a front cloth in the front of the curtains while they changed the scenery behind and I was doing it with uh, a lovely lovely little actor called Leslie Cerrone who was very famous at one time and uh, We were doing this in front of the the curtains and it was dying the death, I remember, dying the death. And I went to see Ron Moody and I said to him, Ron, I'm out there and I said, I'm dying the death, it's not funny, it's not working, I'm doing as directed, and it just not, they're just not, they're hating it, the audience, they're not doing anything. So he said to me, well, what is it you want out of the the system? I said, well, I'm out there. I've got to try and make people laugh. But the director says it's fine. Do it as directed. So Ron Moody looked at me and he said, okay, then who are you going to listen to? The audience or the director? And uh, I just thought for a moment. And then I said, the audience. And he said, there's your answer. So... From that moment on, I realized my job was to entertain and not just do as and ignore the audience, which is quite an easy thing to do if you're told to play a part in one way and you just do it like down the railway track and not listen to your audience. So from that moment on, I listened to the audience and I tried my very best to entertain them, which was why I was there, that's why I got the job. So you put all that together and uh, for good, bad, or indifference, that's what I try to live up to. And so it's not done me bad. I I was going to
0: say, it served you well. Good Good bit of work there, I think. You've obviously worked in so much legendary comedy. I wondered, is there a favorite joke that you have or a really humorous anecdote that you love to wheel out at parties by any chance?
1: Well, not really. There are so many. I think some of the best ones come from um, Fools and Horses. There were so many wonderful uh, uh, anecdotes and jokes and stories and things. One of the things that I I do remember was uh, the, um, which I've mentioned before, but there was uh, Rodney was... um, going out with this girl who came from a very nice family in the countryside who were rather upper upper class. And we were just uh, like we were. And so Rodney was invited to a, um, a pheasant shoot. And so he said, uh, Del was down there trying to help out and sort out. So Del can, comes down and uh, I just remember it, it's so silly and he, they, he, he Dell brought his own gun, and it was a sawn-off shotgun. And he shot the pheasants, or the clay pigeons, as they were, from the hip, like this. <laughs> and he shot them all down, like this. And Rodney says to him, where did you get that gun? And he said, I got it from Iggy Higgins, I borrowed it. So he said, well, who's Iggy Higgins? Iggy Higgins is a bank robber, he said. But it's Saturday, so it's his day off. <laughs> um, just... Silly things like that was just, just a joy to be able to do. And it's one of those stories that I do tell But because it was so silly and just funny. But that's what I'm paid to do. And I really get so much pleasure out of it.
0: Brilliant. Uh, well, a nice little segue there, but I obviously wanted to ask you about Only Fools and Horses. You mentioned in the book that the writer and creator, John Sullivan, he sometimes wrote the scripts a little bit too long for TV. Um mm. Was there anything you ever filmed that didn't make it into the final show that you thought, oh, that was so cracking, I wish you made it in, or anything you kind of devised that couldn't quite squeeze in?
1: Well, there was an awful lot, but I can't remember them um, in detail, not at this stage, but I do remember what prompted us to uh, say to the bosses, the big bosses, that what happened was I said that we we should... Uh, we've got to have longer time. Can we have longer time? And he said, no, because a situation comedy is only 30 minutes. It always has been and always will be. That is sitcom. And I said to, to them, "But well, this is different. I said, you do realize that we are cutting away and throwing away more jokes and gags than any other television comedy show that does in its entirety. And we are throwing them away because we're, unfortunately, John Lester, where he writes, he, he's writing it, he's tried condensing it, and now he's expanding. Now he's got the real feel for the characters. He needs more time to express himself and for us to give pleasure to the audience. And so lo and behold, after a number of knocking on the doors and kicking down the uh, traces, we did get the forty minutes slot, which then turned out to John did fifty minutes. So he, <laughs> he never he never stopped creating, and it was much better for it because it gave John a lovely airy room to uh, to expand his stories and his characters. It was lovely, yeah.
0: Brilliant, and we're all very much the richer for it, I think. (laughs) Um, Obviously, Fools and Horses was so seminal in in British comedy. Uh, I wonder, do you think it would connect in the same way if it was perhaps made today? Or do you think if it was made today, would it have to change at all, do you think?
1: Well, I'll tell you one thing, that it would would change and has changed, and it's a great uh, um, sadness to me, and that is that because of commercial television and unfortunately the the BBC seems to have followed in the footsteps of commercialism, is that they have to show you what's coming up in the next part. And what they tend to do is to give away the joke. They give away the tag to the joke. Now, John and I and the rest of the team were very careful that we would not show, give away any tag or end of a joke. So what's happening today is they're having to show you what's coming up after the break, for example. And so if it were Dell getting a custard pie in his face, and um, how does that happen? Because uh, Rodney was supposed to get the custard pie and it goes wrong and Dell gets it. Let's just say that as a, something off the top of my head. Mm. Well, what they would do now is to show you just before the break, Dale getting a custard pie in his face, right? Go away, come back after the break, and then you get the build up to Dale getting the custard pie in his face. Well, you've spoiled the joke. You've lost the joke. You've, there is no joke really because you've given it away. Now, what tends to happen is uh, that is modern way of doing things. And they don't seem to understand that a joke is only as good as a feed. And when we did, for example, Batman and Robin, we used to have the press following us about all the time, taking pictures and, uh, and spoiling, trying to spoil the, the joke, jokes. And so we took tremendous care over the Batman and Robin sequence because we a, we took care and attention to make those costumes look absolutely brilliant. Then it, the director, bless him, had got all that smoke machine and he'd got them coming out of the, of the sm- smoke. They're on their way to a party. So uh, there was all that was a rationale. Now, what we did was we got that so we wouldn't give away that moment of them appearing as Batman and Robin. And so the humor, the laugh, the joy that we get is these two idiots coming out of the smoke, backlit with uh, the music. And so it was a joy to behold. Whereas if you'd given that all away before a break or whatever, your your enjoyment of that would be halved, if not destroyed completely. So um, we took an awful lot of care about uh, doing, making sure that, the joke uh, stood uh, as a complete unit, and
0: uh, Definitely. we were
1: all supported by our director Tony Dow, particularly, and John Sullivan and me. We we were we we insisted on seeing the, the the promos that went out. We weren't always successful, but most of the time we were. So that's the difference, I think, with. Uh, you're under commercial pressures mm. all the time because there are so many channels out there and the idea is to keep your audience but my argument is well uh i'd rather keep the few audience and really entertain them than just go for a lot of people and uh, who don't enjoy it quite as much Definitely. so thereby ends the lesson for today and <laughs> these uh, Look, learn, mark and inwardly digest you people in television. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) I know obviously you get asked quite a lot about bringing Only Fools back, but unfortunately John Mm -hmm. Sullivan is no longer with us. Um, as, as we're kind of in the era of reboots, and I know, obviously, uh, there was the prequel, Rock and Chips, um, I think Fresh Prince and Bel-Air with, from Will Smith is getting a reboot. I wondered if they did eventually decide to do a, a reboot of um, Only Fools and Horses. Is there anyone that you would think you would want to to take it, step into the shoes, step into the jacket of, of um, delboy and Rodney?
1: The answer to that is no. <laughs> no, 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 no. You see, you can't have... Uh, The writing would be the same, but you've got also, don't forget that one of my, you know, flags that I like to wave is a team effort. And it's not just the character of Del and Rodney and Uncle Albert or Grandad, as it were, but it was all the other peripheral peripheral characters, uh, you know, Boise and Marlene and all of those, how beautifully played they were. You're hard pressed to replace all of those characters who have endeared themselves into the heart of of your audience uh, today. So it would be a very dangerous journey to take. Um, And so uh, my answer to that is don't try it.
0: I think that's very good advice. I think if we've seen anything with all the all the remakes of British classics, they've uh, they've never quite hit in the same way. Definitely. Um, is there any of your own characters you would love to bring back? Obviously, I know you've been back in uh, Still Open All Hours, but I thought you talk in the book a little bit about Frost. Um, is there any of your other characters you'd love to return to? Perhaps you know Danger Mouse or yeah. Frost or someone
1: else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because uh, obviously. Um... Tempest Fugit, for those ignorant people who don't know what that means, it means time flies. Yes, that uh, I was, um, I've always been on on the edge of hoping that we might get uh, off the ground Frost being involved in private detective work because of his his experience and knowledge of, you know, obviously police work and all that, that taking a Taking a step out to be a private detective, and especially with his, uh, you know, his sort of blunt character, the way that he was, and uh, a bit terse at times, uh, he he would work, and that would work. But that's something I've always wanted to revisit because I enjoyed playing that character so much. So, if you're out there, Mr. ITV uh, Frost, as a private detective is uh, ongoing and could actually make you quite a lot of money because I know that you're more interested in that than entertainment so I'm uh, here ready
0: available thank you. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed for that one <laughs> amazing stuff and um, you've yeah. talked about your your work in television and obviously it's quite a, a unique situation so you lot you wrote the book during lockdown one and here we are talking about it at the end of lockdown two I wondered through your experiences and and, and your life are you how do you think the world is changing? And I guess, are you hopeful for the future, especially probably prevalent in a time right like now?
1: Well, the great thing about uh, that is, a particular question is yes, I'm very hopeful. And um, because, you know, it's the human spirit. It's, the, for example, the people who dedicate their lives to doing certain things that you think Oh, you know, I'm not interested in that. That's nothing like real life. Is say, um, getting a journey to the moon and uh, thousands of millions and billions of dollars that it costs to fly to the moon. And now they are um, wanting to go to Mars and they want to put a station on the moon and uh, Mars and all of that. Right. That's because these Mac people are fired with it. So, now we've got this problem, which is um, this terrible disease that's going ar- around the world. Well, we have brilliant people who've been working on a cure for it, and they got very close to it. Now, that's a human spirit, and <clears throat> that gives you total hope that this thing, this this terrible bacteria, whatever it is, no, it's not gonna win. So. I, don't, I, I think you ought to give up and go back to where you came from because us uh, humans, we're going to beat you and we are on the verge of beating you now, so I'd give up if I were you. So, no, my hope for the future is now being reflected by uh, the ability of dedicated, clever, brilliant scientists who are putting together this vaccine that hopefully well, well it, it, it is gonna work, I was gonna say hopefully. No, it will work because if this one doesn't, the next one will, believe me, because they'll learn from it and then we can get back to some form of uh, you know, norm, normality, if you like. So no, I, I have great hopes uh, that we will not this bloody bacteria on the head and go back where it came from and we'll all uh, start learning to have nice Christmas and birthdays with that family
0: and friends. Lovely stuff, I very much hope so too. You, you touched on earlier your your, uh, your friendship and working relationship with Ronnie Barker and kind of mm. off the back of that, I wondered if, what do you think is the secret to those kind of lifelong, year long, you know, years and year uh, relationships, um, friendships as such, you know, what do you think is a key to a long-term friendship? Well,
1: I think that there is, one is admiration So I admired, uh, first before I got into uh, work with Ronnie, I admired his work in his work ethic, which was how he dedicated himself to get things right. But also he enjoyed very much sharing uh, the pleasure he got from making people laugh. So that was uh, extremely important. But one of the things was Quick to chide and slow, no, quick to bless, sorry, quick to bless and slow to chide. So that means that uh, there are so many people who want to stab people in the back behind them, you know, behind their face, if you like, and won't uh, try to be pleasant in their face, but spend their time uh, being hateful behind their back. So that, to me, was always uh, a bad thing to do. And I know that it goes on in life all the time, but we should avoid it. We should uh, not stab people in the back, try and be, get as much pleasure out of each other as we can. So, uh, you know, basically, I suppose, be kind to each other, I think if a very- you can.
0: Very good mantra to have. Very, very good mantra to have. Um, you've achieved so much uh, during your career. You know, from BAFTAs, the knighthood, the OBE, and probably so much more to come. I just wondered: is there? Have you have you got any one achievement that you're particularly proud of? And what sort of goals are you still working on?
1: Well, there are. See, the goal I'm working on is to bring back Frost as a private detective. Do <laughs> <laughs> so if you're out there writing, uh, you get it, get it done. One of the things that I've never really achieved, which would be nice, and I've spoken to Tom Cruise about this, was to uh, be in to make some movies. And uh, I, I, I wanted to work with Tom Cruise, and I've got the title already. It's Mission Possible, starring <laughs> uh, Sir David Jason and in big letters, and Tom Cruise in slightly smaller letters. But um, that that's negotiable with the, his agent. So uh, yes, there is there there is that. And I also, I expect I'll be writing. I'll be writing another book. <laughs> oh dear, I'll we'll be here in twelve life, months but...
0: talking about the next one. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, yes, here you are. Yeah, quite right too.
0: Del Boy uh, was always on the hunt to be a millionaire, and obviously he, he got there in the end. And it it wasn't yeah. quite all it was cracked up to be in a in a way. I wondered. How important has money been to your life? And obviously everyone is always on a big quest for it and uh, some people equate money to happiness. Do you think money can actually make people happy? Do you think it's overblown?
1: I think it helps. Of course it does. But if you... uh, And of course finances give you security, yes. But, and I mean this, that if your sole aim in life is to aim for just more and more money and think that that is going to make you happy, that is the wrong way to look at it. If, to have a financial stability is really good and that normally means getting, having a nice job and uh, you know, enjoying the process of working, which certainly happened to me and that's where I come from. The idea you will find that a lot of people who come into uh, money suddenly, like uh, they they win the lottery or whatever, that uh, it it doesn't really answer all the questions because uh, Money can't buy your love, as the Beatles used to say, and so uh, um, yeah, it's nice to have that extra, but uh, more than more than enough is uh, not helpful, I don't think. No,
0: I think you're very, very right. I know um, you talk in the book about uh, when you when you thought your definition of success would be, and you touch on buying an E-type Jag that was always your oh, your yeah. dream. My granddad actually yeah. managed to buy one, so he he worked three jobs and saved up and saved up and managed to get one eventually. And he had this mustard uh, orange um E type Jag, which I remember when I was very little. But unfortunately, he's no longer with us. But he uh, we ended up selling it for a pittance because it just went to rack and ruin. Um But yeah, if if we'd have still had it, you could have, could have been yours. But I was gonna yeah. say, yeah, it was a lovely yeah. car, lovely, lovely car.
1: Well, there you are. You see, you've answered it in a way that so what he lusted after was an E-type jag. Mine, mine was an E-type, a blood-red E-type jag with white upholstery. And the girlfriend I had at the time was, uh, that's what I used to tell her, that one day that is my dream, that is what I was gonna have. So that you, but you said, you answered the question. He, your uncle, was it? Uh, granddad's. Your grand, sorry, your granddad, he wanted one of those. So. What did he do? He lusted after it so much. He worked, he got three jobs and he saved that money. He didn't squander it. He didn't do anything silly with it until he got enough and he bought his dream. Now, the answer to that was really, if you want something that badly, you've got to work for it. And uh, there's an example. Your granddad did exactly that. So most things, most things in life you can achieve if you really set your sights on it and you're prepared to really work hard for it. Yeah, so I I think that anecdote should be passed on from about your granddad uh, to a lot of people today. When I say that, I meant young people, but it's a wrong thing to say in this moment in time because They can't get a job, which uh, I I hesitate to say uh, that's what we should all be doing because most of us haven't got a job, me included, unless (laughs) you're writing a series about a detective that uh, used to be Jack Frost. But that's another story which we won't go into. Unfortunately, in this day and age, that attitude of work, um you're not able to do but as soon as the bacteria sent packing on its way to where it came from we'll all get back together and then we can all work hard and then i could do another series of jack frost as a private detective uh and um we can all get back to normality and then you can work hard and you can have your e-type jack
0: oh Paul. sounds very good to me uh he would uh uh i think his name was mick i think he'd get a big kick out of you Uh, talking about him, I think he's a big Only Fools and Horses fan. Um, Finally, just to finish up, there's a brilliant quote in the book. Obviously, loads of great quotes from you, but there's one from um, Soren Kierkegaard about life must be lived forwards, but it can only be understood backwards. Um, In that same vein, I wondered, from your perspective, what would you say is the meaning of life? Big, big Um, one to finish on.
1: (laughs) Well, I think very much similar to that. And it is something I try to live by. And I try to pass on to people to remember that what is life all about as as much as we know of it, um, without getting into religion, uh, and what you think life is about, we don't we don't know, really. And so you tend to live in the moment, but My saying is that one that I constantly quote, remember, it's the journey, not the arrival. So that seems to epitomize it to me. It's what I've always tried to do. the, the, The parts that I played and the success that it's brought me, it wasn't, I was aiming for that success or those rewards. They, it was nice, of course, when they come, I really, really enjoyed doing what I was doing. And uh, that was the journey, not the arrival. Yeah, don't dwell on regrets, you know, just let's move on. Pick yourself up, dust yourself down and get on with it. That's what used to happen to me every time I failed an audition and didn't get the part I wanted. So here I am in the lucky position of having a nice book, uh, which I've enjoyed writing and I hope it will bring your audience uh, pleasure as much as uh, pleasure has brought me to talk to you, Lawrence.
0: Thank you very much. And it was a very big pleasure to read. Thank you so much. to David, Jason, it's been, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Sir. So please um, take care and thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you very much. Bye-bye now. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening. This podcast has been a long long time coming and finally I'm so glad to have it out in the world at one stage I thought it might never happen but I'm really really glad to get there. I'm certainly missing the slick production team from behind the scenes and obsessed with Peaky Blinders. Um, But yeah, bear with me while I find my way through the podcasting world in terms of editing myself. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful or entertaining, I would massively appreciate if you could leave me a positive review on your podcast provider of choice because I know it really does help in terms of the rankings and helping other people discover it. Or maybe you might want to share it with your friends or family or someone you think might benefit from it or enjoy it. If you want to stay in touch with me about future episodes of the podcast or people you'd love to hear interviewed then you can find me on Instagram at Lawrence Mozaffari or on Twitter with at Lawrence underscore Moza or you can find my Facebook page if you search for Lawrence Mozaffari journalist. My incredible intro music and backing track which you can hear right now is made by a very good friend of mine Joshua Ferreira He's a multi-instrumentalist and music producer and he's in a very good folk cover band too and they're called The Chaps. Um, they use live instruments to play the biggest dance UK garage and club classics you've ever heard. And once you've heard uh, an Ibiza anthem mixed in, and a, in a folk remix, trust me, you can never go back. There's such a good laugh to watch live. You can hear more of Josh's music by searching for Joshua Ferreira music on SoundCloud or check out thechapsband.com. And if you'd like to support the production of this podcast, please head to co-fi.com slash Lawrence That's ko-fi.com slash Lawrence Thanks again. Thank you so, so much for listening. Stay safe and be lucky. Hello, David.
1: Hello, Lawrence. And nice to see you. Yes. Very nice to see okay, you I'm as well. I'm too sure. <laughs> That there. Yeah, that's better. That's no, better no. I'm the same it? size as him. He looks like a giant yeah. otherwise. <laughs>